it's always interesting uh, in terms of determining what what to, what to preach on, what what to speak on as a pastor connecting with a congregation. There's a variety of needs. There are, there are things that uh, I often will do or cover um, in this transitional season, which has been unusually long um, for a whole bunch of reasons, but <clears throat> uh, to, to make that transition, to try to help position for, you know, the health of the church, and all those things. And to be perfectly honest, I've done none of that. <laughs> I, it's not that it won't need to be done, but it just that hasn't. My approach has been totally different here, um, and that's okay. Um, and so we did the series on Jonah, and I really enjoyed that. Um, I just I think it's so practical and helpful. I thought. <clears throat> and so now, what's the next step? Well, we've been in Joseph. We've been in Jonah. That's all Old Testament. I thought. They probably ought to know that there's two halves to this Bible. You know, there's Old Testament and New Testament. Of course, you know that because we were in the book of Acts for quite a while and got some portion of the way through that. Not saying we won't come back to that. Um, I have to come back to a comment that Dan made. He said, you know, maybe the Lord won't let you leave here until you finish the book of Acts. And that scared the, that scared the willies out of me. <clears throat> And so I just kind of put a parenthesis on Acts and went something else. Uh, so there's still a lot of good stuff in Acts, but we'll come back to that perhaps in the course of time. But I want to go to 2 Timothy. Um, and I guess I, I mean, I, I'm in a, this kind of reflective mode. I, maybe it's because I'm getting older um, that that you begin to be a little more pensive about what your journey has been about. What, what, have, you, what have you accomplished? What, what you feel like you've accomplished? Sometimes you feel like you've accomplished a, a good amount, and particularly with family. I think, you know, when we started out a long time ago, um, uh, Barb and I, and um, he led us along the journey. We have four children. They have all come to faith. They are pressing hard into Jesus. And there's uh, all have uh, spouses that love God. And each of them, each of those children have had three children themselves. So I have 12 grandchildren and just, I'm just so blessed and uh, thankful. And just that when you stop and think about, well, if, if I've done nothing else, then, then being able to uh, impact uh, uh, our world with this gang of Davis clan, whatever their names are these days, that's that's been a good thing. I, I the psalmist says, put it this way: he said, "The lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places," and it doesn't mean that I'm immune from problems or any of us are immune. It simply means God is good. God is good all the time. He is good. And, and when you think, when you stop to think, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on Zambia a few moments ago, and you look at some of the numbers there, and you think about the problems that you have, and then you see the problems there, and you say, oh, God, you have been good. You're gracious. And our hearts go out to those 
uh, places where where there's just so much heartache and so much hardship. Life is hard. Life is sometimes very hard. So uh, I want to come to this uh, letter of 2 Timothy. So I want you to follow along with me as I read the first chapter. I, I will give you the heads up right now. I have no idea how much we're going to get through the first chapter. And I really don't care. Uh, if, if you are on a mission to get through that first chapter, maybe we'll get there. If not, it'll be one of these to-be-continued sermons. Okay, and we'll, we'll just get there. We'll get there when we get there. So let's read it. Uh, uh, and then I'll talk a little bit more about it and see what we can get into. Second Timothy, New Testament. <clears throat> Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and, I am persuaded, now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but, with, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has been now revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, including Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was 
in Rome. He searched hard for me until he found me. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well in how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. Uh, recall, I'm putting this under the banner of the last word. The last word. Um, this is uh, from a biblical perspective, from Paul's writings, the last book that we have of his. I, it's really not fair, I suppose, in one sense, to preach on Second Timothy without talking about First Timothy. But but you'll forgive me. Uh, this is this is where I just really sensed the content of this book was most important for us today. If you had to write your last thoughts for those who you will leave behind to read, what would you say? Sometimes people journal and and they reflect on events of the day or what God has pressed into their heart that day and they'll journal. I don't know if you're a journal person. If you are, then maybe you've got a collection of those kind of moments or thoughts or reflections and you can go back to them. Sometimes when you go back to them, it can be encouraging to you where you where you recognize that, yeah, even though I'm in the dumps right now, even though I'm wrestling with this particular problem or issue right now, God has been faithful and here's how he met me at a point in time in the past. And uh, that can be a, a helpful tool for us in, in spiritual discipline. What would you say? Contrary, what would you choose not to say? What are the things that you think you need to left, leave unsaid? There are, sometimes we say what we think. And that can be a dangerous thing because we don't think at times carefully about what comes out of our mouth, you know, sometimes we open our mouth and and God gave us two ears and two eyes and one mouth and we open our mouth twice as much as we listen in terms of our ears. Um, I read of a, a story of a man who uh, said he wanted to uh, put on his uh, tombstone his final words. His final words were, I told you I was sick. And, I, you know, I don't want that to be the final legacy, you know, kind of thing. So there's got to be more to life than that, for sure. Uh, and Paul uh, talks about uh, the things that are important to him as he comes down the tail end of the journey personally. Second uh, Timothy is one of those letters that Paul leaves this legacy behind him and allows us to get a window into what's going on in his heart and mind. There are several current realities for Paul as he sits in a Roman prison. In the New Testament, there are a kind of a bunch of different kinds of letters. There, there are general epistles written by James and Peter, Jude, those kinds of things. There are pastoral epistles that Paul writes, and there are prison epistles that Paul writes as well. Uh, this is one of those prison epistles, and yet it's pastoral at the same time. Uh, but the current realities for Paul is that it's his last book to people, the last word that he's going to give. 
He's in prison. Down in verse 16, it talked about, may the Lord show mercy. He refreshed me, wasn't ashamed of my chains. Um, uh, that's his reality. The church was in a desperate situation. They needed to have that word come out, uh, the word of the gospel. <clears throat> he was pretty much alone from what we gather in the first chapter as well. And uh, and for Paul, it's time it's time to do uh, one of the hard things in life, and that is to pass the baton, pass the baton well. Um, there was another <clears throat> there was another message <clears throat> on the life of Joseph that I did not preach, that I could have. And uh, the message was talking about dying well, dying well. Uh, Paul, I, I'm convinced, wanted to die well. I, th I think if he, if he had his preference because of the story he went through where he had to appeal to Caesar in order to secure the justice that he hoped he would get, uh, if he had a preference, he probably would have preferred to live longer. It would have provided an ongoing opportunity to impact more people, but that isn't what occurs. And so he's down the home stretch. <clears throat> and he wants to make sure that Timothy knows how important he is as a part of the journey together. So with those realities in mind, Paul offers some reminders to us today to help us in, uh, in, in keeping on, keeping on in the way. The, the introduction to this particular letter is, is somewhat typical of Paul. It's not what we do. You know, we, we say, dear, dear whoever, you know, and we sign off at the end, love Chuck, or, or whatever, whatever you're writing your letter. Uh, we, Paul starts there. He says, this is, this is me. Paul, he starts at the front end. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. In that particular introduction that he does, he talks first about his position of his calling as an apostle. Literally, the word apostle means sent one. And that was the thing that Paul understood because of what you're familiar with, perhaps from the study in Acts, when, when he experienced that road on Damas Damascus road experience and conversion that turned his world upside down, right side up, really. Uh, but but it, 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 it revolutionized his way of looking at God. It revolutionized because of who he saw in the person of Christ in that encounter. And there was that calling and he felt he felt that it really he wasn't among the 12 disciples. He didn't have that inside track, but he felt like he was as much an apostle as any of those 12 disciples would have been. He was called of God, called of God. And that was his position as a sent one. <clears throat> the plan of his calling is by the will of God, is what the language of it says in that first verse. That particular phrase is not used in every letter that Paul writes, but it is used in four of them, here five of them. First and Second Corinthians use that phrase in the introduction. Ephesians and Colossians, those twin epistles of the New Testament, also use that phrase that is, is, is called by the will of God, the purpose of God. It, it is not something he chose 
or he came up with the idea, oh, I think I would like to be a messenger of this good news. It was something that was laid upon him. Vance Havner is an old Southern Baptist preacher, uh, long now with the Lord, but uh, he has these wonderful, pithy little statements uh, that I, I love in his writings. Uh, one of them, he says, he says this, Our efficiency without God's sufficiency is only a deficiency. Oh, one more time. Our efficiency without God's sufficiency is only a deficiency. And if we think that we are such a, a gift to the kingdom that the church can't survive without us and we are God's gift to the church, then I think we're resting a lot more in our own efficiency than in God's sufficiency. It is about him. It is about Christ. Charles Colson said, it's not what we do that matters, but what a sovereign God chooses to do through us. God doesn't want our success. He wants us. He doesn't demand our achievements. He demands our obedience. And so that's a part of the plan that Paul, Paul has. And, and, and again, you'll notice we haven't even got to the first point of things yet. I'll get there eventually. But, but this is all just kind of intro to, to get, it, get our heads around it. The plan of his calling. The purpose, the purpose of his calling in this introduction. He says to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. His purpose is to send forth or propagate the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Whenever... We always have to keep in mind that this message of the gospel that, that we have embraced or believed is always intended to produce life. And it's not, it's, it's not my doing. It is, it is the life of Christ. It is the life of God that is intended. <clears throat> um, when, when he talks about the promise of life. There are there are two more common words, and you 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 probably know them. Even if you don't know the Greek, you probably know those two common words uh, in Greek. One is called bios. We get biology from that, the study of life, particularly plant life. And the other word that is often used as well is zoe or zoe, uh, which is which is another word for life, and we get our word zoology, which of course is the study of zoos. Well, no, exactly, it's, it's the study of animal life. But at, at any rate, uh, you, have, you have this stuff that goes on, but they both refer to different things. In this particular case, he's really talking about zoe, life, life that's in Jesus. And never forget that when Jesus said, I have come, I have come that you might have life and life more abundant. God longs for us to be people who uh, experience the, the life that is found in Christ. And Paul uses that particular phrase a lot. I am a man who is in Christ. And that's his, that's his world. That's, that's the thing that gives him life. That's the thing that brings him to life, the person of Christ. And that's the purpose of that calling. He says in order to propagate the gospel which tells of the promise of life. 
Now, let, let me back up for just a minute here, because I told you we, we didn't really look at First Timothy, but um, Timothy was one of those people that God gave to Paul as a gift. And it was a gift that Paul took seriously in terms of a relationship with Timothy. And he really tried to pour his life into another person, into Timothy. In Philippians 2, you would read, you would read uh, this about Timothy. But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Philippians 2, verses 19 to 22. Description of Timothy. The first encounter that Paul has with Timothy is at about 47 A.D., and there as we can figure. And the last encounter here is in A.D. 67 when he wrote, near as we can figure, the letter of 2 Timothy. 20 years. What can you do in 20 years? If, if, you, if, you, if you were able to back up and live 20 years again, Differently, what would you do different? What would you say? What would you choose not to say? Paul had the opportunity to pour into the life of this young man for 20 years, one way or another, differing degrees. Sometimes it was real close relationships. Sometimes it was pen pals kind of thing. But but he was able to pour into his heart and life. One of the things we've got to keep in mind is that I've said it before, and you may get tired of some of these repetitions, but someone has said Christianity is always one generation from extinction. Unless we pass the baton, Paul was concerned about that, unless we pass that baton to the next generation of leaders, we, we, we don't succeed in one sense of getting the job done. We can run mileage, but it doesn't have the impact. And Paul was able to pass that baton to Timothy because of the things that he modeled, the things that he lived. He says to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. That an interesting combination of phrases, of words, grace, mercy, and peace. Someone has said grace is getting what we do not deserve. Justice is getting what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. And that distinction is okay. You see, grace is for the worthless. It's God giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is for the helpless. It's God withholding from me what I do deserve. Peace is for the restless. The assurance that whatever happens to me will work out for God's glory. I know we we all wrestle with stuff. I mean, I could I could you know I can probably look at each person, and depending on how well you know one another, you could do the same thing and know 
man, they got a, they got a, they got a plate full. They got stuff. They, they have, they have family issues. They have health issues. They have financial issues. They have loss issues. And you're feeling with all those kinds of things. But I want to tell you that that as Paul begins this letter to Timothy, he says. I've got something for you, Timothy. He says, I want you to know of God's grace. And I want you to know of God's mercy. And I want you to know of his peace, the peace of God that passes our ability to understand. It's all there for you. May that be. It's almost like his prayer for you. May you experience his grace and his mercy and his peace. Someone has done the little acronym G-R-A-C-E and said it's the short version of God's riches at Christ's expense. And that, that, that works. That's okay. It's not a formal theological definition, but it works. It's what Jesus has done. It's what God has done at Christ's expense. And all of that is the prelude to what he now launches into in terms of his last word on the issue of renewing your passion. Sometimes it's hard to maintain or sustain passion. Sometimes we we, we, we try to we go for a while and we just kind of run out of energy. We, we're not like the ever but ever ever ready bunny, you know, that goes and goes and goes and goes. Sometimes we just we just get tired because life is hard and we struggle with it. But God, by His Word, says, I, "There are some things, there are some reminders that I have for you, Timothy. That I want you to always remember these things." And so, verse three through the end of the chapter is an encouragement, if you will, to be faithful. And so he talks about some important reminders. Now, again, um, you, you may, you may, we're not going to get it all in today. Okay. Say, okay. So you need to just take a deep breath and say, I choose to forgive Pastor Davis for not getting through the whole sermon today. And I receive that that's okay. So we're going to, but let's see what the reminders are. The first reminder is this. He says, remember your roots. Remember your roots. Now I'm not talking about hair color or lack of hair color. I'm not talking about whether you're black or blonde or or brown or green or whatever in terms of the the color. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about the things that make you, you, that become a part of the formative stuff of who you are as a person and who you are as a person in Christ. Verses 3 through 5, I thank God, whom I serve as my forefathers did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Paul was able to say and was able to live without remorse, without remorse. I serve with a clear conscience. <clears throat> and that's that's a wonderful place to be so that your conscience is void of offense. Now, if, if, you're, if you're living at all in our world, it, it's likely that there are some things that are going to happen along the way that will create not a clear conscience, but a guilty conscience, a, a wounded spirit. There may be things that have happened to you over which you didn't have control, you, 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 and, you, and it wasn't the thing that you wanted, but it came and it inflicted its wounds and hurts deep within your soul. And sometimes you've held on to things in terms of relationships with people that uh, haven't helped you when you hold on to that. 
if anything, it might have sprung up with a root of bitterness, anger, resentment, hostility, passive aggression, all kinds of ways in which that can show itself. And our challenge is to be able to offload that stuff, make our humble confession before God, deal with the relationships with one another so that we can have a conscience that is clear by God's grace. He was able to live without remorse as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Um, Paul was not one that would say, well, it's Sunday, I ought to pray. <laughs> I, I don't think he reserved Sunday as just a day of prayer. And that's the only day that he prayed. I, he, he can, he, and he often talks about constancy in prayer. I continue to pray for people. And I, I hope that that's a part of the pattern for you, night and day, constant remembering people in prayer. I hope, I hope that I want to encourage you in being able to pray for one another in this congregation. You know, we church is so different these days uh, because of the stuff we're dealing with, this COVID stuff. And it's not the same. You come in and you fist bump or you elbow bump or whatever. When you when, when the person that you, you come in, the person really needs a big, big bear hug. But you feel, oh, I can't really do that because it might not be appropriate. Uh, in, in, the, in the concern or care that we have for one another, we've got, we, we, need, we need the body of Christ. And we need to be praying for one another to uphold each other as we deal with the challenges that are, that are, that are there. I mean, there are people that have not made their way back yet to City Light Church. Are they being prayed for by us? Or are we forgetting faces and names? I, I just a reminder challenge to you. Just be in prayer. You, you don't know what's going on in their world of those people that haven't made their way back yet. Um, but I tell you, when you get before God, and you ask them to give, you ask him to give you a heart for them, and then they won't get lost along the way, even though they are not present presently. They are prayed for, and that's important. That's important in the process. Paul says here in verse four, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I've reminded, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Timothy, Timothy, and that, uh, that's, that happens to be the, our oldest child. His name, Timothy, means honoring God. We, 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 we picked names for our kids with purpose. Okay, So we wanted him to honor God. That was our heart's cry. And he has. Not because what we did necessarily, because what God in his grace and his mercy and his peace did and does in the hearts of people. Timothy had a heritage of faith 
talked about, Paul could talk about, and knew Timothy well enough to know the names of his grandmother and his mother, Lois and Eunice. Now, they had a role in the life of Timothy. I'll give you a little more information about Timothy next week before we get too far along to know where his background was and where he came from and all that kind of stuff. But, but he had some people that were instrumental in helping him come to faith. And God always uses people to impact us, to help bring us to faith. Now, if you grew up in a Christian home or a home where, where God was more than just a word, that he was important and it was a priority, perhaps you've, you've had the benefit of a Christian heritage Maybe you were brought faithfully to church. Maybe, maybe, maybe you were you read the Bible regularly as a family. You had what we all, what we used to call the family altar in the past. You know, that's the time where the family got together. They'd read the word and they'd pray for one another. Nowadays, you can't get the family together, and that's tragic, as we're missing out on a piece. But the point is, you had that heritage. Yeah, but maybe that's not your story. Maybe, maybe you didn't grow up. Maybe, maybe you grew up in a situation in which God wasn't even spoken of, except when when somebody died. You had to go to a funeral. Had to come up with some kind of religious thing. You know, maybe that's the closest thing you got to God. Maybe that's the closest thing you had to a kind of heritage. So maybe you've just there was this void. But somewhere along the way, God brought somebody into your heart, into your world, into your life. And they impacted you with the message of the gospel of Christ. As a, as a young kid growing up, I, I went to a local Bible church. It was Summit Bible Church. It was down across Route 97, up the parkway, down across 97. It could have been more than half a mile. So I'd go over there every Sunday morning. And uh, Reverend Brown was a lay pastor, if I recall. And, and, and uh, he, he would, would be there with his wife. And then there was some other people. And Mr. Hopkins a Sunday school teacher. I remember being in fifth grade and having Mr. Hopkins teach the Sunday school class with just a couple of the kids in that. Uh, and, and so I began to learn, get familiar with that. And then, then God sent a couple into my life. The guy's name was Reuben. And his wife's name was Carol. And God sent them into the church and, and they became interested in me and took interest and personal involvement with me, and so I would be invited to go with them to different things and go to Bible conferences or special things or go to whatever the events were. But it was it was Reuben who God brought into my world that filled up a kind of void that was there. My parents were not overly religious. They grew up Baptist and Methodist. My dad was somewhat primitive Methodist background. And my mom was more in a Baptist tradition, G-A-R-B, which General Association of Regimented Baptists, I think is what it was. I don't know what that, I mean, probably regular Baptist, but they were kind of stiff. Anyway, but the point is that that, the, that was that was there. But, but they didn't, it wasn't anything that was they practiced a lot. It was just, yeah, we went, I don't remember going to church as a kid, apart from funerals and weddings. I mean, I just... It just wasn't. They're busy doing other things, busy with life. But the point is that God sent Reuben and Carol into my world in the journey to to fill up a, a kind of a void there, and God used them. And so one night long ago, long ago now, 
I can recall coming back from a Bible conference thing and, and sat in the back seat of the little Fiat, which is about the size of a smart car now, uh, but just, just a little thing, you know. It's like a pocketbook on wheels. It's about all the best I'd describe it kind of thing. But And as we made our way back, then Reuben said, uh, Chuck, he said, I have a question I want to ask you. He said, have you ever come to a place where you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Every other time I was asked that question, I could say, yeah, I'm a, I'm a good kid. Yeah, I go to church. and you know, da, 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 da. But, but that night, I couldn't come up with any other answer. I said, well, I, I don't think I have. I don't know that I have. Well, he said, let me tell you a little bit about that. And I know that it, it, that, that was a five-speed, and he put it into the first gear, and we came up the road very, very slowly. We pulled into the driveway. He was talking. We sat in the driveway of our house, and he, he, he explained the gospel to me and said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And I said, yeah, I really do want to know Jesus is my Savior. And I came to a place of faith. That started the journey. But God brought, he didn't have a, a Lois and a Eunice for me. Oh, I, I had a grandmother that was a godly gal. But it, it wasn't connecting with my immediate world. But God sent this couple. And so he brought those people into my life. And so he says, I, I want you to remember your roots. If you've got a good godly heritage Thank God for that. If you don't, don't blame God because you're here. He's interested in you and your interest is turned toward him. And so you say, okay, God, you brought a friend along my pathway, invited me to come to this place. You, you, whatever the journey is, you're here. Take advantage of it. Remember your roots and start some roots of your own. Get rooted and grounded in him. Uh, Warren Wiersbe, in, in uh, his look at 2 Timothy, describes these first five verses as the gift of a praying friend. The gift of a praying friend. Paul says, I pray for you. So don't miss that opportunity. You may be the praying friend that God is bringing into the life of someone who may not have that heritage, who may not have the roots spiritually, but you are the gift to them. Remember your roots. Let me get one more piece in and then we'll come to the next stuff, maybe next week a little bit. Verses 6 and 7. Paul says this, <clears throat> For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Paul says, rekindle your flame. Rekindle your flame. Now, understand that we can't, we can't create a flame that is not there. God is the one who puts the flame in our heart for him the passion in our heart for him. But we have the opportunity and responsibility to rekindle. He puts the ball in our court. He says, I, I urge you, I urge you to fan into flame the gift of God. Have you been around a campfire over this summer yet? 
Yeah, well, running out of time. But if you can, uh, uh, don't do this out in the middle of the street, okay? I just, well, I don't know where you're at, but, uh, but if you can, if you can recall at least being around a campfire, and you, I love to sit around and watch the the embers dance in the fire. I just got, they just kind of dance. They just the thing they do, and then things get dimmer and dimmer and dimmer as that fire goes down. And then somebody says, "Let's roast marshmallows." And so you get some more wood on, although I know the flames, the embers are really good for most of my but let's, let's, so they put some more wood on and they get going and pretty, somebody will pick up a newspaper and they'll like bellows, you know, try to get that sucker going again and fan it into flame. And so they get more intense to deal with it. It's a picture. He says, if, if the flames are kind of diminishing a bit, fan that into flame. So that it has an impact, so the world can see all of it. You are the light of the world. <laughs> you know that kind of let people see it. You gotta let the light shine. For this reason, I remind you to fan in the flame the gift of God. Use the gifts that God gave you. I believe when a person comes to faith in Christ, God gives them at least one, if not several, gifts, spiritual gifts. We don't hear a lot about that anymore. Maybe there's seasons or whatever. But I believe God equips us. I know God uses us with natural abilities, but those aren't always spiritual gifts. They are just natural abilities that God gives to us. But I believe God gives to us Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. I was going to say 5, but I said that 4. It gives this description of spiritual gifts and and depending on how you like to parse it, you know, Leslie Finn, Flynn will, wrote a book called 19 Gifts of the Spirit. 19 Gifts of the, gifts of the Spirit. And they are, they are those things, and, and some people find more, some people want to little it down. But the point is that God gives to us, what is the gift that God gave to you? Have you discerned that? Have you explored that? Have you discovered that? And that's a part of our responsibility, our opportunity God gives. He says, I want you to, rekindle that gift that was given to you, Paul says, by my laying on of hands. That's where I think we just need to, uh, the, the gift of touch, the need for touch in our world is so key. Uh, and I think he wants to give to us every gift and ability to be able to be used of God. He says, one person says, let the evidence of his spirit emerge, verse 7. Let God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but let this emerge, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Power, love, self-discipline. It is not about us. It is about him. It is not about our ability to tolerate people. It is about our ability to let God love us and love others through us by his presence and by his power and of self-discipline, which keeps us with our nose to the grindstone, keeps us involved in the process. And uh, Warren Wiersbe would say, this is a wonderful gift. If you had a praying friend in the first five verses, you've got a wonderful gift in verses six and seven. So I told you we wouldn't, may not get through, and we didn't get through, but that's okay. We'll pick it up here next week is a good spot to just kind of put a little bit of a pause but but let me let me just let me just make a couple observations 
I believe that God gives us the opportunity to have a variety of people around us. I think, I think, and sometimes one writer described this as uh, 360-degree coaching. Uh, uh, okay, so, so let, me, let me talk just a moment. I believe God wants to give us people in our lives that we can pour into. Paul had a Timothy. I believe God wants us to have people in our life to whom we can be accountable and have as a mentor. Someone who is spiritually mature that can speak into our life and we can speak into the life of another. He puts it in the other letter, Timothy, he says, the things that I've entrusted to you, I want you to entrust to faithful men who will be able to, men, women, children, whatever, who will be able to pass that on so that it's a process. You keep on passing it on. <clears throat> I believe that that's why God gives to us people around us. And then God gives to us, I think, peers, peers around us that we can speak into. So uh, if I was giving out homework this week, I'd say, I want you to go back and I want you to sit down and I want you to reflect. Who is the person to whom you are accountable? Who is your mentor? Who is the person who is speaking into your life? It may be a family member. It may be a, a, a peer in school, whatever it may be, but a spiritual father, mother, whatever it may be. Who is that person? And then who is the person that you are pouring your life into, pouring the Christ into? And if, if you're not coming up with some names, then perhaps I would encourage you to, to go back up to verse uh, 3. It says, and I constantly remember you in my prayers and ask God, God, would you send across my pathway someone I can learn from, someone, someone I, can, I can be comfortable with and, and allow them to speak in my life. And Father, would you send across my pathway somebody that I could encourage, that I could speak into their world. And, and I'll take all the support people around me that you'd lend, but I need those people because it's, it's, it's almost like it's like having hands extended where you're, where you're transitioning or bridging generations. You've got someone else who's speaking into your life, and you've got someone on this end that you're speaking into their life. And that's a part of the divine connection that God longs for us to have. So your homework is to chew on that one and allow God to speak to your heart. And maybe, maybe next week when we gather together, you might be able to share. Here's the person that God is using or has used speak into my world. And this is the person that I God has given to me and and I, I'm, I'm longing to fan the flame in their world along the way. Paul's last word, the, the chance he has to speak to Timothy, his beloved son in the faith, and he says, I want you to renew your passion. We're not done. There's more. There's more to come. There are other reminders, three more at least in the, through this chapter, that we'll get to next week. Uh, so, But in the meanwhile, um, allow God to just kind of do his whisper to your heart and meet you at your point of need. Will you pause with me for prayer? Father, I believe by your Holy Spirit you closed us in with you today. Sense that when we sang, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. 
Come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. And I believe you take your word and you bring it to life for us. Thank you for the gift to the church that this man Paul was. You brought him from darkness to life. You brought him from religiosity to a relationship. And his words and his writings have impacted countless number of people throughout generations. And they impact us yet today. So may we pour our prayers into those people that you bring in our pathway that we can impact and influence for the gospel, with the gospel, for their spiritual good and our spiritual good as well. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Father, for your grace and your mercy and your peace to us today. We thank you for who you are and what you'll do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Stand together, receive receive benediction this morning. Stand together with me. So, Father, thank you for each one of these folks who have chosen to make their way to this place of City Light Church. And we've entered into worship and we've sung with our mouths and with our heart, uh, with our voices, those things of praise to you for your greatness and your goodness. And we simply ask that we will be able to now serve you well. Having entered to worship, we exit to serve. May your great grace and mercy and peace from God the Father, God the Son, God, the blessed Holy Spirit, rest and abide upon you and use you this week in some very, very special ways. Let them see it, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. All God's people say, Amen. 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 Go in his grace. God bless you.